Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study called World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. We're on the 13th topic called Charismatic Chaos. What? Part two. That's right. We're in the second half. The untold history of the charismatic movement. Now, why are we doing that? Because what's the whole premise? Even though we spent 20 weeks dispelling how this behavior is not just erratic, it's unbiblical, and it's unhealthy, okay? And it leads to a lot of ungodly, unfortunate things. We dealt with that biblically. They'll say, uh, invariably, sometimes they'll say, oh, yeah, but see, you just don't understand. See, this is a brand new movement of God. The Spirit of God is being poured out in these last days. That's why it's so weird and strange, and you just don't get it. Really? Well, what we're seeing, folks, is there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old lie that we've seen repeated, repeatedly throughout history. Even as far back as the apostolic age, after the death of the first, the last apostle, the apostle John, early church had to deal with this charismatic behavior. We already saw that with Montanism. Then it continued as it created the Dark Ages, Roman Catholicism. They had a lot of charismatic behavior going on uh, through that until the Reformation. And then the charismatic uh, behavior began again in two different groups in Europe, and both of them hopped upon. And they came over here to the United States. And if you will, basically the first uh, charismatics in the United States were not the ones from the Azusa Street Revivals. They want to say 1906, I believe. Are you kidding me? It started with the Shakers, right? Why were they called the Shakers? Because they came out of the Quakers and they got charismatic and they started... Shaking, the shaking Quakers. They called the Shakers, we saw. Then another group, the Irvingites, were guilty of the same thing, okay? And that's where we left off last time. Now, notice, again, this is a long time before this event, 1906, when they want to say, that's when the latest movement in the last days of the Spirit of God began, the Azusa Street. Are you kidding me? We're not even close to 1900 yet, okay? Now, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to get into another, frankly, cult, Okay, and this is what we're going to see. The charismatic movement, okay, is nothing new under the sun. It's the same old false teaching, uh, just been repackaged, okay? And, and again, believe it or not, God warned us that you need to watch out for the same old, same old. Nothing is new under the sun. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. That's our opening text tonight. Ecclesiastes, okay, chapter 1, page 1047 in my Bible, if that helps. Right, I'm stalling time for you. Right, Ecclesiastes, chapter one. We're going to read verses one through eleven, and of course, written by Solomon. If you find Proverbs, hang a right. And uh, but uh, Ecclesiastes, right? Again, look for that page. It's nice and white and crisp and clean, no wrinkles, almost as if you've hardly never been there before. That's probably Ecclesiastes or Habakkuk. Take your pick. But anyway, let's move on. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's take a look. Here's what it is. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Who's that? Solomon. Right? Here's what he says. Meaningless, meaningless. Now, this is a pep talk. Right? Here we go. But it's true. Listen what he says. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. And and the wind blows to the south and it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All the streams flow into the sea and yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they, they, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough seen, nor the ear is full of hearing. Listen, what has been will what? 
will be again. I'm telling you folks, it's the same thing. This is why we're spending part two on the history of the charismatic movement to dispel this lie. Even after all the demonstrations we've done biblically is why this is not good behavior. It's not biblical behavior. It frankly leads to dangerous occultic behavior. They'll still say, oh, but this is a new movement. That's why it's, no, it's not. What will be, will be again. What has been done, will be done again. There is what? Nothing new under the sun. Is, is there anything which one could say, look, there's something new. Can I translate that in modern terms? This is a new movement of God. Didn't you see that revival bust out? That's why it's so wacky. No, it's just conceited. No, it was, what? Here already long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So Solomon says, be on the lookout. Somebody says, here's a new movie. Here's something. Hey, have you never seen that? No. If you knew your history, it's already been done before. And that's what we're seeing with the charismatic movement. This is the benefit of what we're doing in this second half. It's the same old false teaching repackaged for a new generation. Now, it's not just unfortunate, and it's not just what they do. Listen, because of this charismatic mindset, folks, we're going to demonstrate this tonight, just one of many examples, right, is the charismatic mindset gives birth to not just false teaching and false teachers, it gives birth to cults, okay? Because again, what is the premise? That you can get a word from God outside the word of God. That, hey, I've got a vision that you need to submit to. It's better than the word, it's fresh. I had a dream. No, I had a visitation from an angel. And the angel of God told me to tell you. No, I, I, I got a prophecy. I can pro- I'm a prophet of God. Hey, I, I got a new way, a better way, a, a, the latest way. W- what is that? What are we talking about here? That's the charismatic mindset, right? Folks, that's the same mindset that happens every single time, 100% of the time, when a cult is birthed on the planet. Every single time. It's the charismatic community mindset. Now, what we're going to deal with, we're going to demonstrate that aspect too, not only in our history section here, but the next one, we're going to demonstrate, oh yeah, charismatic mindset, all kinds of cults come from that. Okay? And the first one we're going to deal with in history, next in our timeline, is the cult called Mormonism. Right? I couldn't wait to get to this one. Okay, Mormonism, right? Believe it or not, folks, Joseph Smith, obviously, as we dealt with in our Mormonism study for many, many weeks, and we all got that memorized, right? Praise God, you're not lying. Okay, but uh, we already dealt with that. But did you realize, and I got proof, obviously, tonight, that Joseph Smith, listen, was a charismatic. Think about it. Joseph Smith believed in speaking in tongues, i.e. gibberish. Joseph Smith believed that you could have, through his teachings, perfect healing. Joseph Smith bribed people, buttered people up, and said, if you follow me, you can be rich. Is any of this starting to sound familiar? Joseph Smith said he was visited by an angel of God. They gave him a new truth for a new generation. Joseph Smith said he was a prophet, that he could prophesy. Joseph Smith came up with something that he said was truer than anything else. Now, again, what is that? That's not just what caused the birth of Mormonism. It's what? That's the charismatic belief that we're being thrust with today, that we're told that we're being resistors. And we got... Folks, that's where cults come from. It's produced from this charismatic mindset. Okay? And to show you what it leads to, I'm not going to redo the whole Mormon study. <laughs> okay? But I want to give you a refresher for those of you who weren't there when we went through that study. Here's what this mindset produces. A bunch of whacked out stuff because you make it up. 
God told me to tell you, or I had this vision, or, or this supposed angel came. You know, no, what? You can come up with any kind of crazy story you want. That's what cults do, okay? But this is what Mormonism teaches. This is basically, this is what they don't tell you when they come knocking at the door. But this is what they believe. Now, if they were honest, this is actually what they should say, because this is really what they believe. Here's what Joseph Smith produced from a charismatic mindset in a nutshell. Let's take a look at this. Hello? We're representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormons. Our prophets have sent us to deliver a message given from God. Prophets? Message? Yes. We're here to tell you that God appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith in 1820, and he chose Joseph to restore the truth. He did. Yes. God told him Christianity had become completely corrupt. So, you guys aren't Christians then? Oh, heavens, yes, we're Christians. After all, the name of our religion is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But you just said Christianity was all wrong. It is, but because of Joseph Smith, we know ours is the only true church on the earth. So, what's so bad about Christianity? Well, you see, everything you know about God is basically wrong. First of all, God is not a spirit. He's a perfected man with a glorified body of flesh. Huh? We believe a long, long time ago, on a planet far, far away, our God, Heavenly Father, was just like us. He was born mortal. Eventually, his efforts were rewarded, and he was exalted to Godhood, joining the other millions of gods in the universe. Millions of other gods. Yep, maybe even billions. Oh, that hurt. Oh, sorry. As he grew up, he worked hard at becoming perfect, just like all other gods did before him. Today, Heavenly Father lives on a distant planet. Next to the star, Kolob. He lives there with our Heavenly Mother having spirit babies. That's us. Yes, that's us. We all live there as spirits before we were born. We just don't remember. We come here to Earth to get a chance to work towards perfecting ourselves, so that we'll be worthy enough to be exalted as gods. So you're saying you're going to become a god? Well, well, yeah, I hope so. And just what do you mean by perfect yourselves? Well, we have to be completely faithful and obedient to our church and its rules. Rules? Well, just a few. Basically, just no drinking, no smoking, no gambling or swearing, no coffee. Or tea. No watching rated R movies, fornication, stealing, or lying. No shopping on Sundays. Dress modestly. Go to three hours of church every Sunday. Read the scriptures. Believe in Joseph Smith. Get baptized. Give 10% of your income to the church. Don't question the leaders. Serve in the church. And most importantly, temple, temple work. work. Temples? Is that what you call your churches? No, no. Temples are special buildings used only for secret ceremonies and rituals that are needed for godhood. So what do you do in these temples? Well, first we get anointed as kings and priests in heaven. Then we receive special holy underwear that we must wear for the rest of our lives. Uh, special holy underwear? Yes, special because they have sacred symbols on them that give us protection. Then we're given a new name, the one that we're going to be called in heaven. Then we're taught signs and passwords called tokens. We have to memorize them to be allowed into Heavenly Father's presence. If we show the signs to the guardian angels and tell them the passwords, they might let us in. And if we've earned it, then we will become exalted as gods.
and can start creating and populating our own worlds. So just what is the secret sign and password? We, we, we can't tell you. We swear oaths not to talk about them. So they're secret? No, no, they're sacred. But you can't tell me? Right. Then that's a secret. Fine, it's a sacred secret. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is the only people who become gods are Mormons? What about everyone else who died hundreds of years before your temples were even built? Well, that's the best part. We do all of the ceremonies on behalf of those dead people, so it will count for them in the afterlife. Yeah, we get baptized for the dead, do the signs and passwords for the dead, and even do marriage ceremonies for the dead. Did I say something wrong? Yeah. That was our multiple-week study in a nutshell, as we saw, okay, if you guys remember that. But hey, with all due respect, that's not just whacked out there. That is Mormonism. If they were honest when they came to your door, when you witnessed to them as they tried to witness to you, if you can believe that, that's what they believe. Now you're saying, well, how could some guy come up with that? Well, when you got a charismatic mindset, when you say, I got a vision, God told me to tell you, I'm a prophet of God. You know, I had an angel tell me to tell you, we got a new, better way. This is a new movement of God in the last days. Everybody else is wrong. You got a cult. And that is exactly the charismatic mindset, and that's what is dangerous about this, okay? Now, let's go with Mormonism. I want to prove to you again that basically Mormonism is very charismatic. Again, you got to be if you're going to come up with stuff like this, right? But this is uh, Mormonism's, and this is from their article of faith, and it's on the, quote, gifts of the Spirit. Quote, we believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, and so forth. Okay? They are an important component in both the basic beliefs and daily livings of Mormons. So again, Mormons and Joseph Smith are charismatic by nature. Right? That's, and, and that's where we got it. Now, let me demonstrate to you again, when Mormonism basically starting in 1830, okay, you saw that the vision, uh, supposed vision, we went through all that. That was a bunch of baloney. You made the story up, but whatever. Okay, about 1820, okay. Now, around this time frame, okay, with the birth of Mormonism, we had a revival, okay, going on in our country called the Second Great Awakening. There was one, obviously, prior. That's why this one's called the second okay one and this is in the early 1800s when this began was going on for a while and then here comes joseph smith on the scene right and i want to give you some behavior uh, show you two things uh, in this second great awakening in the second great awakening anytime that there's a true movement of god god's doing something positive guess who's there to mess it up satan Right? Of course, because he doesn't want people saved. He certainly doesn't want God's truth to come out. And what you're going to see is, guess who, when there was this second great awakening going on in our country, which our country desperately needed, and we certainly could use one today, I'll tell you what. Okay, But you're going to see that the charismatics were right there drawing people away. Again, nothing new under the sun, folks. Right? And we're talking in the early 1800s. We're still a long way from 1906. Okay, But you're also going to see, guess who's there? The Mormons, and they're all to lead people away to a new truth, a better truth, get away from God's truth, okay? And so I want to do this, uh, and these, these are actual uh, notes uh, taken from the time period, from letters, that people recording what was going on during these revivals. Now, let me give you some of this. Again, tell me that this charismatic behavior is just, oh, it's all brand new. The scene was <clears throat> strange. Many fell down. 
uh, as men slain in battle and continued on for hours together in an apparently, uh, apparently breathless and motionless state, sometimes for a few moments, reviving and exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or a piercing shriek. Uh, people fell faint. Now, the Saturday morning services had been quiet, the proverbial lull before the storm, but by the afternoon, listen, quote, one wild young minister, Richard McNemar, proclaimed in ecstasy, quote, a true new gospel. What's the Bible say in Galatians? If anybody comes to you other than, and tells you another gospel, other than the one you received, what's he say? Let him be accursed. Anathema. And Paul says it not once, not twice. He even says, even if it comes from a supposed angel of God, which of course, it's not gonna be a real angel from God because God doesn't contradict himself and his angels, messengers, follow his orders. Now, so if you did see something, it ain't an angel of God, it's a demon. Right? But Paul says, don't you receive nothing. But here comes this guy. He gets all whooped in a frenzy. Okay? And he says, he's got a true new gospel. Okay? Now, an expression that startled some ministers but fascinated the crowds. Remember, this is before cable. This is before Netflix. So this is some serious entertainment going on. Right? Cries were uh, busting forth, shrieking, going on. The tumult, then the tumultuous bodily exercises began. Along with the shouting and crying, some began falling. Some experienced only weakened knees or a light head. Others fell but remained conscious. A few fell into a deep coma, displaying the symptoms of a grand mal seizure, a type of hysteria. Folks, we're in the early 1800s. This is nothing new under the sun. When a true movement of God is going on, somebody wants to come in and hijack the thing and get them away from the word of God. And the charismatic mindset did that then, and it's being done, unfortunately, again today. Then they go on. <clears throat> it says, some parts of the grounds were strewn with people's bodies like a, from a battlefield. And then something even more strange occurred, later called the jerks. Oh, I thought that was just the latest thing since the Toronto revival. No, early 1800s. And again, we saw it before. But again, we're dispelling the myth that this is something new. Uh, one witness described those afflicted. Their heads would jerk back suddenly, frequently, causing them to yelp or make some other involuntary noise. Sometimes the head would fly every way so quickly that their features uh, could not be recognized. Remember that one charismatic lady that was going, mm-hmm. she's being touted as this, this, here's why it's so strange. This is the last days and God's spirit's being poured out on her. It's being done back then. Okay. Uh, I've seen their heads fly backwards and forwards so quickly that the hair of females uh, would be made to crack like a carriage whip. The noise was like the roar of Niagara Falls, wrote one participant. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. Yeah, a spiritual storm, not from God. Okay. <clears throat> some were singing, some were shouting, clapping their hands, hugging, even kissing. Uh, laughing. Others were uh, uh, talking all at once, and, and all of this all at once. Fatigued ministers were in constant demand to attend to the slain. Oh, I thought that was a new term today. No, it's... Uh, to, to calm the hysterical, people fell and whirled and praised and groaned in a wild, messy, and unimaginable way. Now, have you noticed there's one thing lacking in all this behavior, just like today? It's supposed to be revival. Revival happens when God's word's preached by the Spirit of God. There's none of this going on. It leads people away from the truth, okay? Now, there was also, quote, falling, jerking, dancing, barking. That's nothing new. Barking, laughing, running, singing, all that kind of stuff. Now, so that's to demonstrate the first half of my premise that, again, even during this time that you had long before 1906, 
again, even skipping over all this, this is nothing new under the sun. Just like Solomon said, it's been repackaged, right? Think, oh, it's something new. It's already been here before. And this was going on in our country to lead people away from God uh, in the Second Great Awakening. Now, this is an account from a pastor, a Peter Cartwright. He was a circuit preacher. A circuit preacher was a guy that would ride his horse on a circuit back in the day, okay, and um, it got, uh, you know, pretty good gas mileage. It was, you know, only one horsepower, but uh, did, they did their circuit. Yeah, you try to make something funny on that. But anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> So he's riding around. And because basically that was the frontier, they, a lot of them didn't have churches, but they wanted to equip people with the word of God. So these preachers devoted their lives to going from house to house, teeny tiny village from tiny village to, to be the pastor. So he was there at this time during this phrase, and he tells of his encounter with Joseph Smith. And he records the actual conversation he had with him. This dude is totally charismatic, Joseph Smith. So here's what he says. He said, first of all, during these revivals, Shakers and Mormons were competing fiercely for souls. Now, what's that tell you? They were right there in the midst trying to draw people away from a true uh, movement of God. He says, then it fell to my lot to become acquainted with Joe Smith personally. And he recounts their meeting. Here's what he said. I found him to be very illiterate, a desperado in morals. He had a vast fund of low cunning. In the first place, he made his onset to me by flattery, and he laid on the soft solder thick and fast. He was buttering him up. And I shared with you before, uh, when I was witnessing to some young, you know, elders, yeah, and I did the same thing, Elder Smith, Elder Jones, whatever, and the first thing I said is, so what's your first name, Elder? No, I mean, what, what's your first name, Elder? No, I mean, really, what's your first, what's your first name, Elder? It was like, what was that show? This is my brother Larry, my other brother Larry. But it was like a nightmare. We, they would never, they wouldn't budge. I pressed them. But anyway, so anyway, so anyway, so I, I'm witnessing to him for several weeks, right? Going back and forth. Now, this was when I was in Bible college. And uh, so I was taking him out on the tennis court. I said, well, hey, let's go play tennis. And I told you the story before. And uh, the one elder, uh, he was all excited. But the other elder looked at him like, we're not supposed to have fun, right? So I says, hey, I'm not going to continue to talk to you unless you go down there and play tennis with me. As we were in an apartment complex. And so I went down there playing tennis. I took both of them on, trying not to boast, but I was pretty good. But anyway, and uh, anyway, so over a couple of weeks, I'm starting to get to the other elder, right? And I think the other guy sensed it because the next came around and I never saw that elder again. He brought the elder elder. And it was this older guy. And he, from the get-go, when he opened the door, he was beaming because he brought in the big guns. The elder elder. And so we go out there, and this elder elder, of course, was not going to play tennis. He just stood in the corner of the court. And the whole time, just like what the guy recounts here in the early 1800s with Joseph Smith, he started this whole false teaching. You know what the guy did? If you recall the story, how he got, he, he, it wasn't the truth. It wasn't why supposedly Mormonism is more correct, and I need to submit to that. None of that stuff. He just kept gloating over this elder elder over there at the back of the tennis court. And do you realize that elder so-and-so is so successful, assuming because of Mormonism, that he owns, this is in California, that he owns 25 Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants? I almost puked on my shoes on the tennis court right there. That kid had no idea what he was saying. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I'm sitting there going like, first of all, bleh. I mean, if you're going to, he was trying to bribe me. Dude, do something like a steakhouse. He owns 25 Fogo de Chows. Okay, you got something there. No, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> but 
Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was crazy. But I, I, I just like, you've got to be kidding me. That's all you got is to bribe me and flatter me and try to, well, you need to become a Mormon too. You can be successful and rich like him. And then my heart broke. And I'm going, that's all you got. Tell you, this is what Joseph Smith from the get-go did to this guy to try to sway him over to Mormonism. Nothing new under the sun. He said he laid it on thick, man, thick and fast, and he expressed great and almost unbounded pleasure in the high privilege of being acquainted with me, Peter Cartwright said about Joe Smith. He said, I've heard so many good things about you, Mr. Cartwright. He, he, and he believed that among all the churches in the world, listen, the Methodist was the nearest and right one at that, and as far as they went, they were right. What? You liar? Remember he said only the Mormon church was the right and true one and that all of Christianity was wrong. Well, this guy was trying to get this guy to go along, so he's trying to butter him. He lied, right? Now, listen to this, though. <clears throat> Talk about charismatic. But, Joseph Smith speaking, speaking of the Methodists, he said, but they had stopped short of not claiming the gift of tongues, of prophecy, and miracles, okay, and then tried to prove his position. So what did he believe in? The same kind of charismatic stuff. Indeed, said Joe, if the Methodists would only advance and take a step or two further, quote, they would take the world. Remember, Joseph Smith invented this religion to make money, kind of like L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology, and for power, right? He says, and if you would come and go with us, we could sweep not only the Methodist church, but all others, and you would be looked on as one of the Lord's greatest prophets. You would be honored by countless thousands and have all the good things of this world and all the heart could wish. What does that sound like? That sounds like Matthew 4 and the temptation of Jesus from Satan, who said, if you bow before me, I'll give you all the splendor of the kings of this world. That tells you where this is coming from, right? And so then uh, Peter Cartwright, he spoke back, after all this flattery, he said he began to inquire about some of the tenets of what they believe. And he says, we got into a high debate. And then, of course, Joseph Smith wasn't getting anywhere. So then the next pass he said he made at me was to move upon my fears. He said that, uh, basically, it's an awful thing to fight against God. And don't we hear that today from the charismatic community when we bring up the fact, hey, folks, what are you doing, man? That's not in the Bible, right? And don't, what does that got to do with becoming a disciple? That's, you're not even teaching the word of God. Hey, listen, this is leading people astray. What are you, this is a horrible witness. What are you doing? Don't, who who do a fight against the latest movement of God? It's the same verbiage. It's the same verbiage that Joseph Smith used for Mormonism. He says, now, if you will go with me to Nauvoo, remember they were there before they, he got shot and killed and they kicked, eventually they got ran off and went to Utah. He said, I'll show you many, listen, Joseph Smith here, many living witnesses that will testify that they were, by the saints, cured of blindness, lameness, uh, lameness, or lameness, deadness, dumbness, deafness, and all the diseases that the human is heir to. So what he believe in? Perfect health, right? Same thing today. And I will show you that we have the gift of tongues and that we can speak in unknown languages and that the saints can drink any deadly poison and it will not harm them. Joseph Smith was a charismatic. And because of that charismatic mindset that you got a word from God, supposedly outside the word of God, you can got a vision, God told me to tell you whatever, that mindset birthed cults, and it certainly was the premise of Mormonism that we still have to deal with today. Don't tell me this behavior is dangerous. Not dangerous, it is, folks. Okay, so then he goes, he says, uh, well, let me tell you about some of your people that I met at this camp meeting, at this revival. He says, uh, one Saturday, there came 20 to 30 Mormons in the meeting, and during the intermission, after the 11 o'clock sermon, they collected in one corner of the encampment, and they began to sing, and they did sing well. 
As fast as the people rose from their dinners, they drew up to hear the singing until a large company surrounded them. So what did they use to draw people away? Music. Does Mormons use that? Mormon tabernacle choir. And granted, it sounds great, but it's being used to, they must be Christian. No, they're not. So that's their tactic to begin to pull people away. Notice it was after the sermon, after teaching God's word. Let's pull you away over here. And then uh, he says, uh, then at a preconcerted plan, an old lady Mormon began to shout. And after shouting a while, she swooned and fell into the arms of her husband. The old man proclaimed that his wife had gone into a trance and that when she came to, she would speak in an unknown language. And of course, he would interpret it. What does this sound like? It's charismatic, but these are Mormons. And so just then my attention was called to the matter. This is Peter Cartwright speaking. And so he saw, and I I saw in one moment that the whole maneuver was intended to bring Mormons into notice and to break up our good meeting. So I advanced instantly towards the crowd and asked the people to give way and let me into this old lady who was then being held in the arms of her husband. I came right up to them and took hold of her arm and ordered her to hush that gibberish and that I would have no more of it and that it was presumptuous and blasphemous nonsense and I stopped her suddenly and her unknown tongue. And then she opened her eyes and she took me by the hand and said, my dear friend, I have a message directly from God to you. What does this sound like? Same thing today. He said, I stopped her short and said, I will have none of your message. If God can, uh, can speak through no better than a medium of an old hypocritical lying woman, I'll hear nothing of it. He shut her down. That's a preacher. Her husband was there, who was supposed to be the interpreter. When he said that, he flew into this, quote, high, mighty rage and said, sir, this is my wife. I'll defend her at the risk of my life. He said, sir, this is my camp meeting, and I will maintain the good order of it at the risk of my life. And if this is your wife, you better take her off from here and clear yourselves in five minutes or I'll have you under guard. He said, I stopped him short, and I says, not another word of abuse from you, sir. I have no doubt you're an old thief, too. And if your back was examined, no doubt you carry the marks of cowhide for your villainy. Now, that's a preacher. He says, now, don't show your face here again to one of the Mormons. If you do, you'll get Lynch's law, and they disappear. So he shared this with Joseph Smith. I've seen your people, and I know what you're here to do. It's to draw people away from the truth. So Joe Smith, he says, my friend Joe Smith became very restive. And, uh, and his wrath started to boil over. And he cursed me in the name of his God. And here's what Joseph Smith said. I'll show you, sir, that I will raise up a government in these United States which will overturn the present government and I will raise up a new religion that will overturn every form of religion in this country. Er, stop right there. That's Joseph Smith and Mormonism. Out of wrath and hatred from somebody who stood for the truth. The charismatic movement today in the kingdom now theology, the false theology, right? They believe that it is their job to take over the governments of the world to bring in, in order for that to happen, to usher in Christianity in order for Jesus to come back. It's the same kind of mindset, right? And he, he said, uh, and so he responded to Joseph Smith. He's, uh, Peter Cartwright, he says, yeah. He says, but my Bible tells me that the bloody and deceitful man shall not live out half his days. And I expect that the Lord will send the devil after you and some of these days and take you out of the way. Thus we parted to meet no more on earth. For in a few years after this, an outraged and deeply injured people took the law in their own hands and killed him and drove the Mormons out of their state. And that's how he died. Joseph Smith uh, was sleeping because another false teaching that God told me it was okay. No, it's not. Uh, preached polygamy and he was sleeping with these men's wives 
right? And they rounded him up, had enough of that, and shot him in the back. Not, remember, he's supposed to be a martyr. He was just there trying to proclaim the truth, and they shot him. No, he was jumping out of a window, and they shot him in the back in the behind. No, because he was sleeping with their wives. But my point is, where do you get all this from? How did Mormonism start? And it wasn't just a guy, as we saw before, Joseph Smith, who, by the way, also was involved in Freemasonry. That's where they got the secret handshakes. He ripped it off from Freemasonry. We saw that before. He was also involved in the occult. He was also greedy, right? Which is why they're big on give me your money today. Okay? But Joseph Smith was a charismatic. So how could you say this is some new movement of God in the last days? Not... Same old thing. And by the way, again, if you think I'm picking on them, no. Because this mindset, and I, that's just one, one example. We're going to move on. This is what spawns every single cult. Starts with somebody getting up saying, I got something better than this. Now, they don't say that. They got to couch it in Christianese. God told me to tell you. Or this angel. I was sitting on the couch, man. Right? I just finished a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And a vision came to me. Yeah, you know that ain't from God. Okay, but that's the mindset, right? Now, here's what I find, in, uh, and we'll move on in our little history section here, but I wanted to kind of show you this is why it's dangerous. This is where cults come from, right? I'm not just picking on them. Okay, during this time, I also think there's something spiritual going on here, the second uh, revival, because you got Mormonism, okay, coming in 1830, okay? And this is when this is going on. So, and we saw that they're trying to draw people away, okay? And, and, and then in 18... 63, you got the Seventh-day Adventists coming along. They got a new word from God. And again, we've already dealt with that study, right? So shortly after that. Then, 1870s, this is when you have the Jehovah's Witnesses were birthed after this second great revival, right? And again, what, what was their premise? They got a new word from God. Same kind of mindset. Then we dealt with 1879. That was the birth of Christian science, which isn't Christian. It's not even science. Remember that study? We went through that too. Now, you look at this, I don't think it's by chance, after the second great revival that our country was desperately in need of, that Satan riled up a charismatic mindset and gave birth to not only Mormonism, but Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Christian science. And here's the, 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 it's not just false, it's not just leading people astray, but every one of those, listen, they claim to be Christian. But they're not. It's what's called a pseudo Christian cult, every one of them, right? It wasn't that Satan birthed a new religion, like here comes another Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam. Every one of these towards, I would granted say, as you're getting closer to the last days, that Satan, all in a very short amount of time, right after a revival in our country, births a bunch of fake Christian communities. Why? So that they all could pull people away from the truth. I agree in the last days. But every single one of those, every single one of them, Seventh day, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, Mormonism, what do they need to pull off what they did? Charismatic mindset. God told me to tell you. I got something. God told me this is really what it means, okay? So we'll with that. Now, let's move on. Uh, the next movement, you got Mormonism, you got kind of this going on. Also, during this time, well, these guys are also being birthed, all these cults. You had the next movement was called, in the charismatic thing, again, nothing new under the sun, was was called the holiness movement. Okay, the holiness 
movement. And you're going, holiness? Well, that, that can't be bad. I'm telling you. Remember we saw that what they do is they take unbiblical teachings or unbiblical behavior and they, quote, make it Christian because they surround it with Christian words? Like, I know that guy, it looks like he's drunk, but hey, it's okay. He's drunk in the spirit. Uh, that does, uh, no, I know that guy just fell over and he's unconscious and wiggling there. Looks like he's having a seizure, but hey, no, he, he's slain in the spirit, right? No, no, I know it's just kind of weird. That person's just kind of making things up and woo, with music and all this stuff. But see, that's, that's prophetic worship. See, they use Christian words and somehow it makes it Christian. Man, I'm telling you folks, when you see this, people have been duped. When you see this holiness churches, Pentecostal holiness churches, holiness movement, you're thinking, well, what's bad about that? You talk about a ripoff of a word, it has nothing to do with holiness. It's, it's all about charismatic behavior, and I want to demonstrate that to you, okay? Uh, but the holiness movement uh, involves a set of beliefs and practices, and again, this is when this revival was going on. Okay, these charismatics, I dealt with the charismatics, then the Mormons. So let's get back to the charismatics during this revival. They kind of break off, and they said that <clears throat> there's a need out there. And uh, speaking of the Methodists, John Wesley wasn't right on everything who started the Methodists. Okay, uh, he did have some false teachings. And one of the false teachings that he promoted was a false teaching called perfectionism. Okay, and perfectionism is those people that just have to do it right. No, it's not what we're talking about at all. Okay, perfectionism is the belief that somehow in your walk with Jesus Christ that you can actually stop sinning. You're perfect. Now, is that true? Not even close, folks. Okay, right? Now, uh, hopefully as we mature and we learn to what the Bible says that will produce holiness, walk and live and keep and accept the Spirit. I'll get into that in a second. That you'll sin less. But let's be honest. Sometimes we, we, we still blow it, myself included. You're never going to achieve this sinless perfection. The only one who was ever sinless or whoever will be sinless this side of heaven is Jesus Christ. So the charismatics took that false teaching from uh, uh, Methodism, from John Wesley, and then they said, well, this is what we need. In order for people to be perfect in their behavior, sinless, okay, because it's not happening now, they said, and they're saved, then that means they need, here's where it came from, they need a second dose or a second blessing, so to speak is their term, of the Holy Spirit. They need a second outpouring of the Spirit to produce this state of perfection. Now, do you ever get a second outpouring of the Spirit of God? No, it happens one time at the moment you get saved, you're indwelt, bang, instantly with the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. And the challenge then isn't getting more of the Spirit, it's the Spirit getting more of you. You getting out of the way as you yield to the Spirit, right? Paul calls it walking, living, keeping us at the Spirit. And when you do that, then then that's what produces holiness. But not charismatic behavior, hooping and hollering, trying to get some supposed second dose of the Spirit, that will never produce holiness, and that's the premise of the holiness movement. Now, let me go and refresh you biblically what will produce holiness. Now, again, you're never going to be perfect, but this is the process of maturity that hopefully over time you do sin less. Right? Galatians 5. Open your Bibles real quick. Galatians 5. Paul tells us the process of that. Okay. Galatians, Ephesians. Of course, uh, Galatians was written to... The Galatians, you guys are on the ball, right? (laughs) 
Read verses 16 through 25. Yep, there you go. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. Paul tells us, you want to live a more holy night, life? You want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, not sin so much? Here it is, man. Fantastic section here, right? Here it is. You got to live by the Spirit. So Paul says, verse 16, so I say, live by the what? Spirit. And you will what? Here's the good news. What will you not do? You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Guess what? You're walking in holiness. Now I'm talking about practical holiness. I'm not talking positional holiness. That comes from Christ. And that's a whole nother study, right? But he says, you're not going to fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Uh, How do you know when you're not walking in the spirit? You're going to be displaying this. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, meaning as a pattern of life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's the good news again. The fruit of the Spirit, when you walk in Him, that's why we started off with, is what? When you walk with the Spirit of God, what is the payoff? Holiness. You experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So three things he says there. You need to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit. Again, the step there with the Spirit is a military term. It's basically when he takes a step, you take a step. It's in cadence. Right, And when you do that, when you're living and walking in the Spirit, you know, all the basic, let me break it down for you, all the basic things that you say we Christians do, you know, when when you're reading the Bible, where's your mind? On the God, on the Spirit of God, right? And the Spirit of God's illuminating His Word to you, right? Uh, when, When you're witnessing to somebody, where's your mind? On God. When you're praying, who are you communicating to? God. When you're singing a love song to Jesus with godly worship music, where's your mind? Where's your heart? On things, of God. When you're having godly fellowship with people who actually love God too, and your conversation is godly and encouraging, where's your mind? You know what I just described to you? My understanding of what does it mean to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit. Your mindset is about living that way in the things of God, the Spirit of God. And when you stay in that sphere and you walk in that, you get to experience love, joy, holiness. That's what we're getting, but that's where it's at. Right? But a surefire way that you know somebody's not doing that is when you see the opposite of that. And Paul gives you a test there. But this is, that's, that's, that's what will produce holiness. That's how you will sin less as you mature in Christ. The more you walk and live in the Spirit. I said all that to get to this. This has absolutely nothing to do with that. All it is is a word. The holiness movement. Because again, you go, why would you be against that? Because that's not what they're talking about, okay? All it is is the same charismatic behavior. They just slap the word holiness on it. And somehow, what they're doing is okay. I'm going to share with you, this is a modern holiness, quote, church. This is supposed to be, if you will, a revival breaking out. This is their video, not mine. You tell me if any of this has anything to do with Galatians 5, anything with the word of God, and if any of it will produce an ounce of holiness. With all due respect, but watch this.
You ain't going to have the power for holiness, that's for sure. You're going to have the power of an emotional high, power of a sore back. Your legs hurt from jumping up and down for 25 minutes. Some serious calisthenics, though. I don't know, maybe it's a good weight program. What, how is that going to produce holiness? What does that got to do with holiness? Folks, that's what this holiness movement is. And you got to do that charismatic behavior in order to somehow get what you're lacking, some supposed second dose of the Holy Spirit, and somehow you're going to be perfect. First of all, you're not ever going to be perfect, number one. Number two, you are being led astray because that has nothing to do with Galatians chapter 5. None of it. And so the sad thing is, guess what? You're never going to grow up as a Christian. I'm not saying you're not saved. But that has nothing to do with walking, living, and keeping in step in the Spirit. So again, where did this mindset come from? Well, it was again during this time frame, the second revival. They took the charismatic communities that were already there along with the Mormons. They took a false teaching from John Wesley's perfectionism and come up with this thing. Well, that's what you need. You need a second dose. That's why, that's why they're still sitting in your life, brother. You need a second dose of the Spirit of God. And so they dovetailed that. They called that, corralled that around this holiness thing. And it became, quote, the holiness movement. But it has nothing to do with holiness. And it can't produce holiness is the sad thing. Now, the big proponent of that uh, two big leaders, uh, believe it or not, was this lady, Phoebe Palmer, okay, and her husband, Dr. Walter Palmer, okay, as you can see again during that same time frame. And uh, uh, he was popular too, but she was way more popular. She became, uh, in fact, the most popular. And, uh, but they're, they're considered, especially her, the founder of this next charismatic sect, again, long before 1906, okay, what was called the Holiness Movements, okay. And uh, July 1837, this lady, Phoebe, uh, experienced, quote, what John Wesley termed entire sanctification. Really? So you're perfect now. Mm. I'd love to have a conversation with your husband. I bet you we could set that straight. Men don't laugh. You got a long ride home if you do. But you know where I'm going. Come on, are you serious? Oh, oh by the way, uh, if you uh, were at supposedly somehow achieved this state of now you're in this perfectionism, you're perfect now, you can't sin because you're so full of apparently this next new dose of the Spirit of God, then why did you sin by being a female preacher? Which the Bible says you can't. We already dealt with that. Let's take a look at that. Phoebe Palmer has been called an early feminist, a theologian, and a humanitarian. Personal tragedy shaped Palmer's faith. She lost three of her six children with husband Walter Palmer, one in a fire that ignited when an oil lamp fell into the crib with the infant. She was a person that knew great pain and hurt and tragedy in her life, but it was uh, her experience of the power and presence of God's love in her life that was a source for her overcoming. Palmer was key in establishing New York's Methodist Five Points mission. On the site of an old brewery, the ministry brought the healing presence of the Holy Spirit to residents in one of New York's poorest neighborhoods. She was the developer of what was called the Tuesday meeting for the promotion of holiness. Perfect love, she says, issues forth in passion for lives that serve humanity. In the 1800s, when only men were preachers, Palmer led weekly Bible studies, published books, 
and preached at more than 300 revival camp meetings. Well, so much for being sinless. Oops. Now, here's what's ironic. Not only does the Bible say that uh, there are no female pastors, uh, she actually, and this is a direct quote, she actually agreed with critics that it was not right for women to engage in, quote, women preaching. She even agreed. But then she said, but women may occasionally be brought to these positions of high responsibility. Well, make up your mind. Which one is it? But see, that's the same charismatic, unfortunate mindset, isn't it? When you counter with, well, here's what actually the Bible says. Well, yeah, I know you're right, but you see, you don't understand. There's certain instances where it's okay. Same mindset. You hear that, don't you, when you've ever had these conversations? Excuse me, God doesn't speak with forked tongue. When he says it's right, it's right. When he says it's wrong, it's wrong. It will always be wrong. But see, that's the mindset. Now, listen to this next statement they say about her. Now, she considered herself simply, I'm just a Bible Christian who, who takes the scripture with absolute seriousness. Really, you didn't follow it. And that's why they said her theology is her legacy. Yeah, so you say you're a Bible-believing Christian. I'm just following the Bible. But when you get caught on things that you're doing, which, by the way, is sin. You're supposed to be sinless. Okay, which is a false teaching. Uh, for expediency's sake, you say, well, no, that's, it doesn't apply in my case. Same thing that we're dealing with today. Now, she's considered this link, this holiness thing where I'm bringing this up. Okay, and I don't have much room here. We're probably going to pick up here next. Okay, from here, the holiness movement with this Phoebe lady, she's the link. Okay, so you go from the holiness movement to what we call in history, real history, and again, unfortunately, most of the charismatic community doesn't even know their own history. Okay, is what we would call early Pentecostalism, okay, is where it is. She was the link between these two, okay, uh, with that in history. And uh, gave rise to denominations like the Church of the Nazarene, Salvation Army, the Church of God, and the, quote, Pentecostal Holiness Church. There's that word again. Well, it's got to be good because it's holiness. That's what they're there for, no? You just saw, what has it got to do with anything with an ounce of holiness? And will any of that behavior produce holiness? And do you need a second dose of the Holy Spirit in order to have? No, it's false teaching. Many of the early Pentecostals originated from the holiness movement. And to this day, many classical Pentecostals maintain much of the, quote, holiness doctrine. Now, again, I got to belabor this point. That sounds great. What's wrong with holiness? What's wrong with holiness doctrine? But do you see what it really means? They took a Christian word on this charismatic behavior and somehow it's like a smokescreen. The holiness doctrine has nothing to do with what you and I think about producing holiness. Okay, but the, that, that's where the Pentecostals came from is out of this. Several of its denominations, the Pentecostals, include the word holiness, again, including the Pentecostal Holiness Church. Now, the terms Pentecostal and apostolic are now used by adherents of Pentecostal and charismatic doctrine, but they were started back here with the holiness churches. So that's kind of the next tie that we're going to get into. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into uh, two other gentlemen. Uh, Asa Mahan, he's the president of Oberlin College. And he believed in 1836, 1836, long before 1906, which was supposed to be the birth of the charismatic movement, okay, uh, that he was, quote, what he called a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Wait a second, I thought that was a new term that's just happened recently. 1836. 
He was talking about that. We'll deal with that, Lord willing. Also, another guy who came along and who further reinforced this idea that you, a false idea, false teaching, that you need a second dose of the Spirit in order to produce holiness. And that was a gentleman, we'll talk about Lord willing next time, a guy named Charles Finney. And he promoted, unfortunately, and popularized this idea of a second work of the Spirit of God. And, uh, and supposedly that's how you're going to have revival in your walk with Jesus Christ. But we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, You shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But, folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place 
so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.